you start. You're right. <laughs> I was watching. You were like so intently reaching over there. And I thought. Yeah, I was, I was waiting for your part. <laughs> That's Ooh, awesome. We got this. I'll wake up here. It's because we missed the week. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A show from your friends here at Sandal Search featuring Pastor Matt Brown. I'm your co-host, Justin Party, sitting across the table from Stephanie Schaefer. What's up, guys? As I was watching that, you know, our little bumper here on the TV, I was hoping, do you guys remember on that show, Friends, there was like a part oh, in the, the where yeah. everybody would go. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I hope that some of you guys at home, whether you're watching, whether Do you're clap. listening, clap along with us because uh, it's a great way to celebrate celebrate and get excited and pumped up for the show. Hmm. I'm really pumped up because last week we didn't do a show. We didn't. First time, I think, since we've that we've taken a break that we didn't like plan for plan or say we're going on summer break. Just a little one-off because yeah. Pastor Matt, you flew to Colorado. Yes. Yeah. Left the nest. Yeah. I did. How was I your hate, flight? I hate time? landing in Denver. Yeah. yeah. It's the bumpiest place. So what you have to do is you have to come in over the Rockies, mm-hmm. and so then you have to you have to come down. So you're trying to come down when all that the wind is blowing off the planes, pushing your plane up, and the wind it's comes just, sweeping oh, off the planes. Dude, it's horrible every time, every time. Mm. So as far as I know, there's never been a plane crash there, but man, it feels like it every time. Ugh. So I don't think I've ever flown in there. So yeah, it, I would say this, like you know, Dex, mm-hmm. um, guy you're working with now, uh, former creative director. He would ra- he will drive to Colorado rather Versus than fly rather there. Flying. Yeah, we flew in once. I don't remember the turbulence. I think yeah, I then did. you got you got blessed. Yeah. We we didn't have a lot this time, but the last okay. time I flew in, uh, me and Tim Holly, I thought we were going to meet Jesus. <laughs> I so, remember that. Yeah, the plane like flipped sideways like as we were landing, and I mean when I mean sideways, like I I was staring straight down. It was terrible. Good night. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The guy next to us says, "I don't usually drink, but I'm going to today." <laughs> oh well. Speaking of things that are terrible, let's do something that's not terrible. That's right. We have a first here on the show today. We have our first sponsorship of the debrief show. Yay! Which is very exciting. Our friends at Gateway Seminary have sponsored the show. They um, are based actually now here in Ontario. Near uh, our campus is here, but they also have locations all over the place. So make sure to check them out. Pastor Matt, you actually. Attended Gateway. Right? Yeah, I'm a graduate of Gateway Seminary, and uh, it's a great place. Love that campus. Uh, learned how to study the Bible. Uh, grew deeper in my relationship with God. Great professors, great faculty. And actually, when I flew back from Denver, oddly enough, I ran into the president. He was getting ready to fly to Denver because they have a campus there. So I ran into Dr. Jeff Orge as we were getting off the plane. Met him and his wife. Great people. Great campus. Great conservative uh, Baptist seminary. Uh, it's going to give you. The truth of scripture and it really helped uh, to grow me most of our pastors at sandals go there mm-hmm. um, in order to be a pastor at sandals church you have to have some form of bible education either in college and or seminary or both street so, smarts don't count for bible education no it doesn't it's all i got sorry yeah. buddy but yeah if you want to learn more about gateway seminary just go to www.gs.edu we'll be telling you a little bit more about them over the next couple episodes uh, they've got some great programs. Even if you're not looking to get a full-on master's in divinity, they have some other great programs for folks who maybe are teaching kids in the Bible or stuff like that. We'll tell you more about those over the next couple of weeks. So thanks to our folks over at Gateway Seminary. Yes. Yeah, I got all my Bible knowledge on the streets of gold. Mm-hmm. See, that was a that was good Bible joke. That mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Someone so, someone next. someone clearly hasn't been to seminary. They didn't teach. Yeah, they don't teach. They don't teach humor in seminary. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into it. We are. Uh, 
plowing through 40 days of faith. I can't believe it. We're almost at day 30, which means there's only 10 days left. I know. I'm they, a little nervous. I don't know if they teach math in seminary either, but I just did some for you right yes. there. We're getting, you're feeling nervous? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever, you just you know, just never know. I mean, right? God's only going to do what God does through his people. And so his people have to respond. So, um, you, know, I, you know, I'm pretty confident we will hit at least 5 million um, to do some of the minimal projects that we need to get done. And if you have the momentum uh, pamphlet, you know, 5 million is really the lowest of what we want. Then there's 8 million. We can do some other things, but 10 million is really the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? We could come in over 10 million. I mean, I just don't know what people are planning. And, and you know, I mean, you just don't know. So, um, but be praying about what God's called you to give and only do what God's called you to give. And um, man, we'll, 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 we believe God will bless whatever's brought forward. So, but just continue to pray for me, DZ, my wife, and some of the other leaders, you know, as we get closer and closer. So you just never know. Oh, for sure. If you have no idea what we're talking about, head to sandalschurch.com slash momentum. You'll see all about the 24-month campaign we're about to kick off here to help raise an additional $10 million to further what we're doing here at Sandals Church, open some new locations here locally and around the world. So, yeah. yeah, if you don't know, we uh, we just launched uh, Sandals Church like Arrowhead. Mm-hmm. So the Momentum Project is to help fund that. Um, we are uh, we just bought a new campus for our Woodcrest campus, brand new campus, nine acres, 35,000 square feet, just absolutely amazing. So we own that. Uh, our Woodcrest campus has been without a campus for six years. So now they're gonna not have to set up and tear down every single week. It's gonna be fantastic. We control the property. It's It's literally amazing that God gave us that. And we're gonna try to expand our East Valley campus because God has just blessed them so much. We need to give them some more space. And our Marino Valley campus, we're gonna purchase the children's uh, area. We currently lease that, <coughs> we're gonna buy that. So yeah, we're gonna do lots of things. And if you don't know what Pastor Matt means when he says pray for DZ, DZ is short for Dan Zimbardi, mm-hmm. our executive pastor. So yeah. yeah, or our boss's boss. Yeah, that's right. So. Boom. All right, well, let's jump into some follow-up questions. We skipped a week last week, so we've got some from your message. Since we call Dan Zimbardi DZ, can we please start calling follow-up FU, the FU section of the show? <laughs> the follow-up. I think DZ would say no. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's time for some follow-up. Yeah, I need you to limit your creativity on the show. <laughs> so as we're walking through the 40 Days of Faith series, two weeks ago, you actually talked through the story in Joshua and all about fighting the good fight. And you mentioned about the story of God lengthening our days. And so Jen wrote in question and said, two weeks ago, you mentioned dying before your time is usually due to being a fool. My brother tragically passed away in an airplane accident at age 29. He's a saved man and lived his life for God. My question is this, how do you know if it was actually his time? I don't like to believe that his life was taken out of pure stupidity, but I also know that his life was taken far too soon. Some clarity on this would be helpful to my healing heart. The sermon really threw me for a loop. Yeah, and so I have no idea why your brother was taken when he was. I don't know mm-hmm. the details. There's not enough information in your question. All I'm simply mentioning to you was the uh, the book, uh, I think it was in Proverbs that we specifically talked about. Mm-hmm. It just states what is common wisdom. And so here's the problem as Christians. Sometimes our faith in God allows us to be fools in life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's the problem. You don't get to live a foolish life and not face consequences. Um, I remember I met a guy one time riding his motorcycle down the 91 freeway and he didn't have his helmet on. And I, I saw him at the gas station and he went to Sandals and he said, I know God will protect me. And I said, well, God is telling me to tell you to put a helmet on. And he's just foolish. Now, I don't know if anything ever happened to him. I never saw him again, but that's living a stupid life. So- It's Proverbs uh, 10. Yeah, Proverbs 10, 27. So uh, the fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Um, and so that's, you know, that specific one is the wickedness first. Ecclesiastes was, don't be overly wicked. Don't be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So the wickedness thing, Jesus says, those who live by the sword, die by the sword. So if you live a wicked, violent life, 
you're going to live a shorter life. So one of the things I was watching today is the life expectancy of uh, the average American, which is not helpful at all. What you really need to do is not look at what state you live in, not what county you live in, but you really need to live, look at what area of town you live in. So if you live in a violent neighborhood, mm-hmm. your, your life is going to be shorter. And, and that, that, that shows out. And it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, or uh, male or female, you live a shorter life. Um, they did a survey of this in Washington, D.C., simply comparing two neighborhoods, one in Georgetown and one with an area of D.C. that's poverty-stricken and crime-ridden. And the age difference, the life expectancy was 33 years difference oh my gosh. for everyone living nine, nine miles apart mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. And that's tragic. So we, we, need to, we need to look at that and say, okay, what kind of life am I, am I living? And so, um, yeah, God's in charge, but our choices matter. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Our choices matter. So if you go bungee jumping and you say, my life is in God's hands, yes, and the cords. <laughs> so- <laughs> So, you know, are the people drunk that are, you know, putting this court together? Do you know what you're doing? I mean, right, all of those things matter. Um, We don't get on the airplane and say, Pastor Matt, fly because you love God. Well, I've not been trained. I don't have that expertise. I don't have those skills. That would be foolish Mm -hmm. for me to fly the airplane. Maybe God would do a miracle, but God would probably say, Matt, don't fly the plane. (laughs) You don't know how. So that's what I'm saying. And I think that Christians say dumb things when people die. That's just the reality. What we need to do is stop saying things and just be present. Just sit there, just be there. We don't have all the answers. Let's just grieve together. We're not God. And God very rarely feels like he needs to answer our questions. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality. He's God, we're not. He doesn't owe us an explanation. That's That's part of the problem. I mean, the reality is there's a huge difference between the God you want and the God that is. The God that is, is very radically different from oftentimes the God we want. And what we've sold Christians on is God is everything that you want, his love, his kindness, his goodness, all of this stuff. But we don't talk about that the God that is, is also vengeful, judges, um, holds people accountable, punishes, kills, destroys. Like that's also a part of who God is, but we don't want that God. So we act like we're at 31 flavors ice cream and we just ignore the flavors that don't uh, fit our spiritual palate and we just enjoy the flavors that we like. And that's a problem. You can't worship the God that you want. You have to worship the God that is. And so that's what he tells Moses, I am who I am. Take it or leave it, that this is who I am. And you can worship me or you can go your own way. And um, so we need to be really careful. So I'm sorry that what I said, if it if it brought up hurt feelings. And, and, and what I would say is, when someone dies, I think that ultimately the place that we need to get to is just settling with, I don't know why, but I know that God is good. Mm-hmm. I, I know. And that's when you read through Job, that's what gets Job through it is he believes that God is good and he's going to continue to trust in God, even though his life is falling apart. And that's the model that we need to follow. That's the model of Christ. That's the verse that we found in Peter. We know that this suffering will last for only a short time, but don't worry, don't give up because God's going to show up and change these things. So again, I don't know why your brother died. Uh, I wish you would have given us a little more details about the flight, about the plane, right? All of those things matter. But oftentimes I do funerals and people have been very foolish. And what people do, instead of stating the truth about the dead, they say untruths about God who's alive. Mm -hmm. And that is wrong. Because what we're doing is we're worshiping our dead rather than worshiping our God. And we need to not be excessively wicked. That's the reality. And so 
like a lot of times when people die, when police officers die, when somebody die, dies in a random shooting or a murder or like what we had um, in Vegas, we all ask why God, the answer is wickedness. It, w- it wasn't foolish for those people to be there, but they died because of a wicked man who rented uh, a, um, a uh, um, what do you call it, hotel room mm-hmm. and shot people. Yeah, Wickedness cut short the lives of others. And so that's the reality is we need, we live in a world full of wicked people. And so it's not just our wickedness that can shorten our life. Mm-hmm. It's someone else's wickedness or it's someone else's foolishness. And that foolishness can simply be, you know, not, not uh, doing your job the right way. I mean, there are certain jobs where when you make a mistake and you're foolish and you don't double check, people die. Mm-hmm. Like I remember a couple of years ago, there was that aircraft flying back from Cancun that crashed just off of uh, Point Magoo um, out past Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. It was uh, an Alaskan Airlines flight. Everybody died. Here's what the investigation stated. A mechanic used the wrong oil yeah. for um, um, a part of the plane that controls the plane's ability to maintain altitude. He made a mistake. Mm-hmm. It was a foolish mistake. It was silly. I'm not saying he was a, he, he's a fool. I'm saying his mistake shouldn't have happened. Somebody should have double-checked that. But his foolishness cost, or killed the lives of about 150 people. And it's tragic. It's terrible. And so what we all do is we go, why God? Why God? Well, flying on a rocket with wings is an extraordinarily amazing feat. Mm-hmm. Like we should all be like praising and worshiping God every time we land. It is incredible what just took place. You just flew in the air over you're, 500 you're miles. You're a pastor, so you do that, yeah. right? You have a yeah, praise oh, and dude, worship I'm session so, at the end? Dude, I'm telling you, when we just flew to Denver, I, I prayed literally this prayer. I pray to the God who stood on a boat in Galilee and told the wind and the waves to shut up. That was my prayer <laughs> because we are going into Denver. So remember I told that joke, if you're in Israel and there's a hailstorm that kills people, it's an act of God. But if you're in Colorado, that's Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> I ran into multiple people in Colorado who heard my sermon. And I don't know if this is true, so don't quote me, but they said 400,000 cars last year were damaged in oh, Colorado yeah. because of hail. That happened like a week before we got there, actually. But I know a couple of our friends totally had their car yeah, to- beat like, up total. by hail. <laughs> Softball size hail. Like, I mean, so, you know, if you're in, it is Israel, God hates you. If you're in Colorado, it's Tuesday. So, (laughs) right. That's just the reality. It has crazy, crazy weather there Mm -hmm. because of the winds that come up from the Caribbean and the tornadoes that are in, you know, um, Oklahoma, the area of Texas, Kansas, right? All that wind slams into the Rocky Mountains and it just kind of sits there. Now, having said that, Denver is a beautiful city, great people. I would love to live there. I just don't like landing there. So if you live in Colorado Springs, especially Denver, you guys are fantastic. Sorry about your Colorado Rockies, but the Dodgers are still in it. Sorry. Oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> All right, okay, so, so to, back to our wonderful gal. I'm so sorry that I've caused you grief. Look, we, we, don't, we don't know why. Here's what I'm saying. Don't live a foolish life. Don't live a wicked life. And God says, you're gonna live a longer life. And that, that should make sense to everybody. That shouldn't be hard for people to understand. But, and again, this is why so many non-Christians have a hard time becoming Christians because so much of the things that we say are ridiculous. I can eat whatever I wanna eat. I can live however I wanna live and God is gonna supernaturally protect me from my stupidity. No, you need to eat right. You need to exercise. You need to be healthy and and, and make good decisions and wise decisions. and, And God's gonna bless your life. My body's not my body. It's been purchased with a price. By Christ, I live for him, I die to myself. And many of the passions and desires that we have, be it food, sex, adrenaline, 
whatever, those things will drive us to end our life shorter. Now, our passion and our desire for God is going to live our lives to be longer unless, you know, our life is cut short by wickedness who's trying to thwart the kingdom of God. That happens. Missionaries die. Pastors die. Um, I mean, it happens. So um, this is not a, a forever, every time promise. The book of Proverbs, if you can go back to our series that we did on this, is general wisdom that generally blesses. Mm-hmm. That That's what it means. It's not an always promise. It's not an always promise. But generally, if you don't live a wicked life, if you don't live a foolish life and you follow God, it's going to go well with you. So. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) All right. So for the last couple of weeks, you've talked about fighting for God. We've talked about tests from God. And so we've gotten a lot of questions just looking for clarifications on this. So two weeks ago, you talked about fighting for God. How do we know when to fight in faith and when to step back and wait on God? Hmm. I don't know what that means. What do you think it means? How do we know when to fight? How do we know to step back and wait? Well, you were talking about David and Goliath right. and mm-hmm. David going out yeah. specifically to fight against Goliath mm-hmm. versus, I don't know what the possible alternative would be. Yeah. Imagine the Philistines what? turn around and run away and go home, run out of food. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that generally we need to not fight. So, um, mm. to, you know, when we fight for God, we don't throw stones. Melody said that at the Cultivate last week, which I thought was a fantastic quote. You know, standing for God doesn't mean throwing stones, and a lot of people think it does. And so we had that, um, you know, the Judge Kavanaugh thing, um, you know, and people were saying, I believe um, Professor Ford, or I believe Judge Kavanaugh, and, and there was this big fight back and forth. And somehow uh, evangelical Christians were attacked because they believe in an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but they can't believe, uh, you know, Dr. Ford for something that happened 36 years ago. And so I kind of gave my two cents and I wish I wouldn't have mm-hmm. because it just, you know, Twitter is not the place for reason. Twitter, Twitter is not the place for rational discussion. You know, it's like, it's like these slam dunk insults from all over the place. And so I, I think that was a mistake. That wasn't a Goliath. That's something that I could ignore. That's a political fight that's irrelevant. The truth is, I don't know what happened. You know, God knows and, and, and we got to move forward. So, um, you know, and, and people tend to believe whatever their political party wants them to believe. And that's what I noticed, right? Republicans believed him, Democrats believed her. There were some people maybe that crossed over, but not very many. So, um, you know, because human beings tend to believe what we want to believe. Mm -hmm. So, and what I would say is, you know, we don't want to believe women. We don't want to believe men. We want to believe God. We want to believe truth. and, 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 And what helps us with truth is evidence. And so the point I was trying to make is, you know, uh, the the Ford Kavanaugh thing was a he said he said she said because there weren't witnesses with the Gospels it's not a he said she said it is five hundred eyewitnesses five hundred eyewitnesses you know um, I I don't think it you know the Bible says if you have two or three witnesses man it's it's a settled deal it's settled and so um, you know there are eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ now if you follow me on Twitter what you saw is people say you can't choose characters in your story to back up your own myth. Well, what that means is they haven't been to seminary. They know nothing about the truth of scripture. There's more evidence for the accuracy of scripture than there is any ancient book in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. In the history of the world, we have eyewitness accounts, we have details, places. Um, 
you know, Jesus Christ was crucified in Jerusalem under Pontius Pilate, you know, on this day, mm -hmm. he was placed in this tomb. Think about, think about those details, right? Um, here's the people who went to the tomb. Here's the eyewitnesses that saw him. Here's where he spoke. Here's what he went. Here's what happened. We have one of the enemies who hates him, right? We have a Democrat who becomes a Republican. <laughs> His name's Apostle Paul or a Republican who becomes Democrat, depending on your persuasion, <laughs> right? He switches over to the other team. There are amazing things that happen. Um, and the gospels are reliable witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, nobody's taught that because nobody, I think, studies history anymore. We're so stuck in our current present mess, we're not learning from history and the truth of history. And, that, and that's sad and tragic. Um, but that's all I was trying to say is mm -hmm. there is evidence there. Whereas the other one is, you know, ultimately we're making emotional decisions based upon tears and anger. And those were the emotions that, you know, Kavanaugh was angry, she was crying. So you, you choose to believe what you believe based upon emotions, which when the, with the gospels, we're believing the eyewitness testimony. When you look at 1 John 1, to him whom we have seen, who we have heard, who we have touched with our own hands, mm -hmm. I write to you. Now he's writing to people when he says we, there are people there that saw him, touched him, right? They, they knew the resurrected Christ. It's not just him, mm -hmm. it was our testimony. And so I'm reminding you of that. So read that in 1 John, it's powerful. Um, you know, it's incredible. And so there, there is credible, there's overwhelming evidence for the resurrection of Christ. People like C.S. Lewis, who set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And if you think you're smarter than C.S. Lewis, that means you don't know yourself and you don't know C.S. Lewis. So you need to go back, look at who he is, look at what he's done. And as he tried to disprove Christianity, he ultimately submitted to the truth of Christ. And so that happens and that's important. So I don't even know what the question was. It was, uh, how do we know when to fight and when we need to- I would say we usually wait. shouldn't fight. I, fighting <clears throat> is, I very rarely have I fought and thought that was a good idea. <clears throat> so I think it's better to take a step back, right? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And we need to- try to be at peace. And what I would say about our current media is they're trying to make everybody a protester, everybody a fighter, everybody angry. And look at what that's doing to our culture. Mm -hmm. Look at what's happening to our anxiety. Look what's, look what's happening around us. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, I think that they're constantly trying to stir up strife and, and, and discord and anxiety. And, and that's terrible, absolutely terrible. And so I think we need to work for peace we need to calm people. And here's what we can say, God is in control. And so the question is, what's happening? And, I, and we had Lisa Turkhurst out here um, what, two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I think she did a fantastic job is that there's what's happening on the physical level that we're overwhelmed with and then what we can see. And then God is moving on the spiritual level. And so that's what I think we need to understand is that even though there are things that are happening in the physical level that we don't understand, God is moving, Romans 8, 28, and God works all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, mm -hmm. right? And so God is moving in the spiritual realm uh, and that impacts and affects the physical realm, but not, not everything. Because our, our behavior, our choices, our wickedness, our foolishness, the foolishness of someone else, the wickedness of someone else can take life before their time is up. Um, so how, how would you um, help us know how to respond to the direction Paul gives Timothy when he says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Right. And so what that means is um, aggressively speak to fellow Christians to do the right thing, to forgive, to love, to pursue true doctrine. Even to, your own self, I guess. As yeah, a even Christian. your own self. I mean, you have to look at yourself. I mean, that's why our vision is real with self first. So the, the, the battle every day for me is myself, my attitude, um, you know, Last night, Tammy and I had a discussion, a bedtime discussion, which are always fun when you're married. And I just 
you know, what, what's the end goal? The end goal is I want her to feel safe. And so I don't, didn't agree with quite a bit of what she was sharing, but I want her to feel safe. So she needs to be heard. Um, and then I need to walk her through that and just remind her that I'm here for you. I love you. Even when we don't disagree. Whereas when I was younger, I felt like I had to fight for the truth and what, what I believe was the truth. And really what I need to fight for is her safety, her love, her security, because that's the kind of leader that Christ was. So I think that we need to learn to fight like Jesus fought. And, and how did he do that? By, by loving people, by being overwhelmingly good. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that he challenged really were the religious jerks. Those are the people that he's the most harsh with. He's the most kind and gentle to those who know they're broken. It's that self-righteous, you know, that self-righteousness, it's just so deadly. Whether you're a conservative or liberal, man, this idea that I am so much better than everyone else is what crucified the son of God. So I would say fight yourself, fight against your own desires, fight against your desire to to speak the truth as you see it. Um, You know, I think that's what's so wrong uh, in our culture is everybody feels like they have to instantaneously speak their truth. And it's just, it's a disaster. It's a disaster, you know? The Bible says, speak the truth in love, put away all falsehood. So that means I need to step back. I need to disconnect emotionally. I need to say, okay, what, what is the long-term goal gain here? And so I think what we've got to learn to do is we got to fight. So here's the good fight, reaching lost people. That's the good fight, saving lost people. That's what's worth dying for. That's what's worth giving your life to. It's not worth it to fight for your political party or your political opinions. It's not worth you know, fighting for your, you know, your voice to be heard in your marriage. I mean, these all the, you know, the, the things that we fight and we argue, we're so childlike. We've got to learn to fight the good fight, which is I want, I want to surrender to Jesus in every area of my life. That's the battle. Mm-hmm. We have to surrender to Christ in every area. And that's what Paul says. He says, I fought the good fight. I've remained faithful. I have passed the test, man. And uh, man, I hope to be able to say that. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so how do we know? Because this last week you talked about uh, real faith requires spiritual tests. How would you know if God is testing you versus maybe you're just having a bad day, a bad week, or some kind of other uh, spiritual attack from? Well, I, I would say w- whether it's from God or it's a bad day, it's still a test. Mm-hmm. Okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. Every single day, a sinful, broken, wicked, foolish world will test you. Every single day. Because people are broken, people are foolish, people are stupid, people are careless. Um, that's just the reality. We're you need to wake up every morning and say, "I'm going to be tested today." Now, it may be a small test, it may be a, a big test, it may be a Goliath test, right? It could be huge. And so, I think the Goliath tests are few and far between. Uh, some of us will never have those tests. You know, they they, they just won't. And um, you know, there, there's big things. You know, I think about you know Pastor Dan Crowley. You know, at our church, you know, he's facing a major test of faith. So one of our, our pastors, spiritual directors, you know, has to have heart surgery, and that's a big test. Mm-hmm. And every single day, I'm thankful that I'm not facing that Goliath. That's mm-hmm. a big Goliath, and I'm praying for him, love him, and encourage him. And he's you know he's a spiritual giant, so he's handling it really, really well. And so I'm proud of him in that. But I may never have to f- to face that, and that, and that's okay, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have to face every giant that everyone faces to, to be able to understand that. So I would just say, you're gonna be tested every day. Every single day, you need to anticipate testing. And part of why I think we fail the test is we're not prepared for a test, right? Remember pop quizzes? I mean, mm-hmm. those aren't fun. So uh, they're only pop quizzes if you don't expect them. So I would just say every single day. Um, and, and just, you know, that's where you need to, I think, have spiritual community, understand the word of God to be able to discern, is this from God or is this me? Mm-hmm. Um, is, is this me? And so, um, the ultimate answer is, 
you know, we don't always know. Sometimes it's the Lord, sometimes it's the world, sometimes it's the devil. Hmm. So, um, you know, I think as you grow in your faith, you'll figure it out when it's the devil. You know, I mean, I think uh, you'll be like, whoa, this is not us. Like if you're a couple, this is not us. This is not our kid. This is not our friendship. Uh, the devil wants to separate, destroy, create lies, gossip, slander. That's what the devil does. So, um, you know, God doesn't do that thing. God doesn't cause division. God doesn't slander. God doesn't do those things. Um, that's the devil. And so part of the testing of um, Job was God allowed Satan to test him. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't God testing him; it was yeah. Satan mm -hmm. challenging and testing his faith. And um, yeah, go ahead. So now this weekend you talked specifically about a test that God did with Abraham, where mm -hmm. He asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Sam wrote in and asked in the story that of Abraham from this week, he's asked to do something that seems really wrong or wicked, but he's asked right. by God. How do we know if God is asking someone to do something if it seems wrong? Was it different for Abraham than it is for us? Yeah, you're not Abraham. None of us are Abraham. I mean, that's part of the the narcissistic tendency in our culture is to assume that we are even remotely uh, as faithful as Father Abraham, right? I mean, he is extraordinary. So so let's talk about Isaac. So again, you know, are, are you 90 years old? Did you have a child at 91? You know, okay, maybe God would ask you to sacrifice that kid. So um, in the ancient world, that was a common practice. So it's not, it's not out of the norm for gods to ask um, parents to sacrifice their children. That, that's not out of the norm. So it's something that Abraham would have understood. It's something that Abraham would have been exposed to. It, it wouldn't have been perceived as wickedness because the law has not been given yet. In the law, uh, it says specifically, you are not to sacrifice your children to the God of Molech or any other God. So, mm -hmm. so that, that comes into the law, but the law comes after Abraham. So we have to remember that. So Abraham is learning about God. He's learning the right and the wrong. He's learning what to do. Um, Abraham makes many mistakes. One of them is having sex with his uh, servant, Hagar, because his wife said, uh, I want a kid through her. And, and you know, Abraham learns the hard way. Women don't always mean what they say. <laughs> and that goes really bad, right? That goes really, really bad. So guys, if your wife says it's okay if you have sex with someone else, that's probably- Thank, thank it's you. a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> That's a trap. So, a, so don't go there. So um, what I would say is, is you have to understand that it was only a test and it was God testing his faith. So here's what I would say is God's never going to ask you to do something wicked. Okay what he's going to allow you to face and that's why I brought in the you know the verse uh, I believe it's first Corinthians 10:13 that uh, the temptations that you're going through are common to everyone. Know this, God will always provide a ram. That's that's the principle. No matter what test I'm going through, God always provides an exit. I have to look up to find the exit. So here's what I would say. If you're going through wickedness, now we have to, because we, ha we have scriptures that Abraham doesn't have. Mm -hmm. So now we have to go over to James. The book of James says that God will never tempt you. The temptations arise from your own desires, from your own evil, and from your own heart. That's where it comes from. So if you're tempted to do something wicked or evil, that's not the Lord. It is from you. Now, here's the beauty. God will give you a way out of even your own wickedness, of even your own evil, and you can find that way. You got to look up. There's going to be a way out. You can do this. And the biggest thing is stop staring at the temptation and start staring at God. Look mm -hmm. up. The ram was already there. And, um, you know, especially our young people that are growing up in a, in, a, in a sexual culture today where, you know, everybody's having sex, right? Being sexual fools 
and paying the consequences. Uh, STDs were up 400,000 last year in the state of California, yay us, <laughs> because people think they can do whatever they want with their bodies. Well, you can't. If you use your body for wickedness or foolishness, you'll pay the consequences. And that is the reality. So you're facing sexual temptation, you're facing uh, financial temptation to lie, cheat, steal, whatever it is, there's always a way out. And you just gotta look up. You, you, God will always, in the end, bless you for telling the truth, doing the right thing, being obedient. So mm. again, um, the Bible, and so here we talked about Gateway Seminary. One of the things you know you learn in seminary is that the, just because the Bible is descriptive, it says what happens, doesn't mean it's prescriptive. So it's not telling you to do this. Mm -hmm. So just because Abraham was tempted by God to kill his son doesn't mean anyone else will be tempted. He, God is painting a picture ultimately of what all people will be saved by. God himself will sacrifice his son on the altar on Mount Moriah for your sins. So it's a, it's a precursor for what God our father in heaven will do with his one and only son, Jesus Christ. So- you guys didn't hear me say this on Sunday, but the ki our kids at Sandals Church heard the same story yeah. that we did. So I told the parents, hey, your kids might need some emotional support on the uh, the way home. But I, I took the kids and we were in the drive-thru for In-N-Out Burger. And I'm trying to talk to the nice lady outside the window. And she's like, the kids are just going crazy. And I just pulled up my phone and said, hey, Siri, remind me when I get home to build an altar. And oh, sorry, Siri's trying to, she, I just triggered her. Anyways. They were quiet. Oh yeah, Bo was just like. <gasps> yeah, I don't know. If threatening your children with death is is good. Yeah. What? Well, so what you're saying is the Bible's descriptive, not prescriptive. Yeah. I should not have. I should not have. We should not threaten our children with death. Okay. Yeah. Uh, children, when you grow up and you start listening to this podcast to see what your dad was like in the in the past, I apologize for what I did this last weekend. Okay, here's a question from Catherine that's kind of heartbreaking. In the beginning, well, it's not kind of. It's totally is. In the beginning of this week's sermon, you talked about how Abraham and Sarah struggled with infertility and that during that time, it was important that they had faith. My husband and I are currently struggling with infertility and I find it extremely hard to keep my faith. I often find myself feeling more anger than faith, especially when I see so many people around me that seem to have what I long for. How can I work on increasing my faith and decreasing my anger in a situation that causes me so much pain? Right. So the first thing, here's the first mistake that I, I think we do in the church is we treat infertility as its own thing. Anyone who has their body fail in any way, in any capacity, struggles with anger with God. Mm. So if you have cancer, your body, you're right, your bone body is killing itself. If you have a disease, it will, will, anytime you find yourself, so the word disease, at dis-ease, you're, you're not at ease, you're not right, your body's not functioning the way that it should, oh. right? Um, it causes resentment, bitterness, and anger because you're, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's not right. Your body is not functioning the way that it should. And so here, here's what I would say is that part of the thing is we just don't take uh, the, the birth of a healthy child for what it is. It's a miracle. Every single time it's a miracle. Um, ladies, 100 years ago, 50% of you died in childbirth. I mean, that's just the reality. So it, it Every time there's a healthy mom, healthy baby, we should celebrate and praise God because it is a miracle. And I think when we look at um, the birth of a child as a miracle, those who are struggling with infertility can, because what you feel like is everybody else is experiencing life as it should be. And so then you say, well, what's wrong with me? And the reality is every child's a miracle. Every child's a wonder, wow, that's incredible and that's amazing. And if God uh, allows you to experience the wonder and the miracle of childbirth, that's incredible, but we're not, we're not owed that. 
God doesn't owe any of us that. God doesn't, God doesn't owe us a healthy life. God doesn't owe us all 95 years. God doesn't owe me to never get divorced or never fail, you know, experience financial difficulty or hardship or trial. We live in a fallen, broken world. Our spiritual life is broken, our mental life is broken, and our physical life is broken. And we experience this in disease. We experience uh, it in infertility. We experience, you know, mental issues and, and mental diseases. You know, um, all kinds of struggles, trials, challenges, and then the spiritual world, world we're, we're disconnected from God. So Jesus Christ first has fixed our spiritual relationship with God. He's growing that. He's working on our mental, and eventually we will experience healing. So what I would say is, um, I would surrender yourself to God and say, God, I want to be a mother. My prayer is that that would be a natural born child. That's my prayer. However, I am open to being a mother. And if, you're, if your ultimate desire is to be a mom, there are multiple ways that God can make that happen. And I've you know been in small group and community group with people who uh, have struggled with infertility and never had children. I shouldn't say never, have yet. And this has been over, I don't know, 12, 15 mm-hmm. years. Have, have not in 15 years of marriage experienced a biological child of their own, but they are parents and they do have a family and it is wonderful. It's challenging, mm-hmm. but it's beautiful and it's amazing. And we have to remember, we're not biological children of God, we're adopted. We're adopted into the family of God and that's a beautiful, wonderful and amazing thing. And so I would say that the best thing to do is to communicate openly with your spouse, to get into some form of counseling uh, know this, you're not alone. A lot of people mm-hmm. struggle with infertility. It is it is a a, a real challenge. Um, and again, you know, we we don't know why. We we don't know why. You know, um, it could be something that we were exposed to chemically. It could be something you know that's. I mean, we 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 don't we don't know why. And it seems to me that more and more women are struggling with it. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's true. So if we have a doctor that can write in um, that knows if infertility is increasing or decreasing, that would be. Great. It seems to me mm-hmm. in the 20 years I've been pastor that it's becoming more and more common. So that leads me to believe there's something about our environment. There's something that's happening around women that are if impacting and affecting them. Mm-hmm. So um, so it, it, it may not be God. It could just simply be our environment, but not everyone is going to have a biological child of their own. And again, our faith in God can't be because of what he gives us. It has to be because simply that he loves us. And so we can't we can't love God because he gives good gifts. We have to love God because he is good. And um and and, and that's hard. That's hard when we, you know, when we don't get what we want. And, you know, over 20 years I emphasize a lot of the answered prayers, you know, that I've prayed for, I've asked for, and you know, I've wanted and, and I talk a lot about the answered prayers, but there have been there have been plenty of no's. Mm. Nope, that's not gonna happen. And I have to worship is not just Worshiping and loving God with the yes. It's worshiping and loving God with the no or the wait. And I don't know in her case if she's gonna have a child of her own or how she's gonna have a family. Here's the thing I would say to guys. Guys, you need to be tender and loving and and just know every 30 days, there's gonna be a reminder um, that's gonna be difficult to work through. And so what I experienced in small group is, you know, every time the person in my group's you know period was a little late, there was this hope, mm. there was this excitement, and then there would be this huge disappointment. And so I experienced that over, over the process of years. And so um, she just became really open in our small group. I mean, literally about her menstrual cycle. That's how close our group became. And we're praying for her with that excitement of, and sometimes, you know, she was four weeks late. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. it was six weeks late, right? We're super excited. And, 
you know, then you take the test and it, and it, and it was a no. And, um, and I know that this person loves God. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, I know that her husband loves God. They're some of uh, my deepest, closest spiritual friends and they didn't or haven't yet had biological children of their own. They do have two adopted children who are amazing and, and I love them both and, and love that family. But I would just say again, um, we, we have to love God even when he says no. Mm-hmm. Otherwise we don't love God. Um, uh, it can't be this manipulative relationship where God's a genie and we simply you know rub the lamp and we get whatever we want. And so my heart goes out to you. I love you. I, 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 you know, my heart's breaking for you, but, but just know that God is good and he can provide a family uh, in many ways. So just trust that and believe in that. And I would just just put your just put your heart on the table and say, God, here's my heart. However you wanna answer this prayer, I'm gonna trust you to do that. So we actually have a question on one of those ways that um, people can have children. It's anonymous. She just says, my husband and I have been struggling with infertility for a few years now. And the doctors have told us the only way for me to get pregnant is through IVF. I've struggled in my faith when it comes to this subject. Do I get the medical help I need to get pregnant or is this a test of faith where I just need to trust in God to make it happen? Yeah, so I, I think that there's, um, every believer has to go before God. I think it's important that churches don't inst- establish a doctrine for everyone. Um, there are some things, um, you know, that that would make me feel uncomfortable. For example, like, um, you know, so having a surrogate, so like what uh, Abraham does with Sarah. So they didn't have the technology, so he he sleeps with her and that creates all kinds of problems. I think that there are limits to every couple. There are limits to every Christian and you need to go before God and say, God, I, I want you to give me a sense of peace about this. Mm-hmm. Some couples, I, you know, I just don't think there's one answer for everybody. Every couple has to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what, what are we going to do? There are financial costs to many of those things. Mm-hmm. So are we going to bankrupt ourselves financially to have a child physically? Is, is that what we're going to do? Um, and, and they're not guaranteed. And then what do you do if you get six kids or eight kids, right? Because sometimes that happens with these things and that creates a whole nother level of stress and trial and God, why, you know, we wanted one, why did we get eight? Well, you know, you, you've intermixed medicine, which is not perfect. It's called the practice of medicine with the birthing process. And, and so it becomes, and then the other problem is what do you do with um, the, embryos? the embryos that have been in, injected with sperm? I mean, the, right? W- when does life start? Do, do you have a living child that's frozen? It creates all kinds of problems. Do, 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 you, do you extend those children? You know, those, uh, those uh, what do you call them? Embryos? Embryo, but it's called fertilized embryos. Does that mm-hmm. sound right? Yeah. Gosh. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, so what do you do with those? And I have friends that have right in their rush to have a child, they were so focused on that, that they didn't think about the other one. Mm-hmm. Now, now what do we do? Um, so science creates benefits, but it also creates problems. And so, you know, a hundred years ago, if you couldn't get pregnant, you just couldn't get pregnant. So now, or maybe even 50 years ago, I mean, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, how long the technology is going. What I would say is go before God and ask God, say, God, I need you to lead me specifically in this process. Um, pray with your small group, pray with your community group. The problem is, you know, opinions are like belly buttons. Everyone has has one um, and they're not all right. So I think it's a case by case basis. We need to be very careful about overgeneralizations and statements about that. I wouldn't go into bankruptcy. I wouldn't go into financial hardship, especially when there's so many kids that need a home. There's so many kids waiting in the adoption process who wanna be loved, who wanna be cared for, and those kids matter too. So that's what I would say. Um, 
To connect this on this concept of faith being tested, and especially how you talked about all of life is a test, the way I perceive this, and I could be off here, is that God might himself not be causing the infertility or withholding the miracle of pregnancy, but has allowed that to happen because that's how, you you know, you talked about environmental factors or whatever, and then is not giving peace to either of these two ladies in their hearts because like leveraging that perhaps to drive them towards meeting the need of another child who needs to be adopted. I'm not saying you have to do that, by the way, but who would need to be Mm -hmm. adopted or fostered or something along those lines. Like I frequently, I feel like I see, imagine God as one of those martial artists who I think it's the style of judo where you use the the force yeah. of the enemy against them to yeah. to shut them down. Is that something, does that seem? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I just think it's a very delicate process that you need to go through. Um, you know, you need to cry out to God, here's the desires of my heart. But ultimately, what people don't understand about that verse is God wants to change your desires. So your desire um, should be to serve God and to love him and know him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the apostle Paul says, marriage is secondary to serving Christ, which means having children is secondary to serving Christ. So the first thing needs to be to serve Christ. And here's the truth. When you're single, you can serve Christ with more of, of who you are. When you're married without kids, you can serve Christ more with who you are. And so um, to God, we want to be a family. We want to have children, but ultimately what we want to do is serve you. And, um, you know, so I, I just would go before God and, and, and again, you know, the Bible is a historical document. It doesn't speak to uh, medical technology. And so we, we have to figure out with what are we gonna be okay with? How far are we willing to go? And again, in your rush to create a child, to create a life, you have to remember that there may be consequences with other potential lives. Mm-hmm. And so, you, so that's, that's where I think it really gets difficult for Christians is, okay, so you, you, you uh, fertilize an embryo and it works. Now, what do we do with seven fertilized embryos? That's a real mm-hmm. theological problem. It's a real challenge. And so um, I, would, I would move forward very slowly. And oftentimes in our haste to make things happen, we put ourselves in situations that we don't wanna be in. And mm-hmm. that's, that's just a real challenge. Okay, these next two, I'm going to read two questions because they're very similar. Uh, Blake and Amanda say, how do you encourage someone else to continue with their faith when you see them being challenged and pulling away from God as a response? And then Jesus says, I have a friend, by the way, I just assume it's Jesus because nobody's going to necessarily name their kid Jesus. Yeah. But if your name is Jesus, I'm so sorry if I um, got that wrong by making an assumption. He says, I have a friend who is contemplating leaving the faith because of the costs that are extremely heavy for him. He's in my community group and I'm struggling myself with different challenges in my own faith. As a leader, how do I care for those in my group when I have my own challenges that I'm going through in my faith? How do I encourage someone to not give up in their faith when I don't even know how to relate to what they are sacrificing in order to follow Jesus? So how do we encourage other people when they're really struggling in their faith? Well, I think that the first thing that we need to be honest with is people can walk away and do all the time. So mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of us as Christians don't consider that as a real category. Mm-hmm. We assume that everyone's gonna make it to the end um, and many people don't. And so being in this church for 20 years, I can't tell you how many people I saw who were on fire for God, who have, some have walked away from the faith, some are enemies of the faith. Mm-hmm. So not only have they walked away from the sandals, but they, they are antagonists against the church and antagonists against Christ. And that's unfortunate. And typically uh, people walk away from one, because of one of two things, a desire that doesn't fit with what the Bible teaches, you know, and how we should, we should operate or uh, a struggle 
or a test, you know, suffering. One of those two things happens. So something bad has happened in your life that you can't reconcile with a good God. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what I would say is for all of us as Christians, this is why you need to think about things before they happen. You know, um, I've thought many, many times about what would happen if my wife died or I lost a child or I lost my whole family. You know, what would that do to my faith in God? Now, I don't know because I haven't experienced that, but I've thought about it. Does it, does it mean that God is not good because I've, I've lost someone that I love, someone that I care about? No, I don't believe that. I, I've wrestled and I've asked these tough questions and most people just don't. They never ever think deeply about their faith. And so they're surprised when something terrible happens or something terrible goes wrong. And so, uh, and again, that's why we have to be rooted in God, not in our circumstances. Mm-hmm. And most people are rooted in their circumstances. When life is good, you know, they're good. But I can tell you this, some people fall away from God when life's too good. I mean, they just, they get a lot of money and and they're just gone. I mean, I've seen that happen. So sometimes blessings end up being the burden that drives you away from God. So what I would just say is, is just communicate that walking away is a choice, but it is a real choice. Mm-hmm. So I think that we need to just, you know, um, you know, when I've counseled, you know, uh, specifically young people dealing with um, same-sex attraction, you know, I always end our conversations with, at some point, there's a fork in the road. Mm-hmm. There just is. I love you. I care about you. I will meet with you as long as we're on the same path. But when we come to the fork and you decide to go left and I go right, that's a real consequence. That's a, there's a relational consequence there. And so... Um, you know, as long as somebody's struggling, I'm with them. When they decide, I let them go. And I think that's hard for people, but you, you have to let people go. We're not responsible for people's choices. We're responsible for our, our behavior in the process. So, um, you know, and as someone who's been really, really unhealthy uh, with an overwhelming sense of responsibility, I mean, I'm, I'm a natural shepherd. I'm a natural caretaker of people, but I'm not God. I am not. And, and, and people's, I'm not responsible for people's decisions. I'm responsible for what I teach them and how I advise them. So I would just lovingly say, look, you know, you have a choice to make. You can walk away. People do. They do. It's, it's all throughout the scripture. People walk away. Um, you know, John says, if they had been with us, they would have never left us. The same, same uh, book we were talking about. So even under the teaching of John, who's talking about he who, who we've seen, touched, felt, like heard, people that saw that walked away from the faith because things got too difficult um, and things were extraordinarily difficult. I tried to watch the the movie, The Apostle Paul on the airplane flying mm-hmm. to Denver and I just started crying. Mm-hmm. I just I just couldn't, I couldn't get through the first 10 minutes because I've never experienced suffering like that. You know, Luke is trying to, the movie starts with Luke trying to find um, the Apostle Paul in Rome and he's walking by Christians who are lit as candles in the street. Mm-hmm. So they're dipped in wax and they're being burned because of their faith in Christ because Nero used the Christians in Rome as a scapegoat for the fires that that burned down the city. And um, it's, I mean, think up, think about that. Ugh. We're not talking about cancer. We're not talking about you lost a kid in a car accident. We're talking about your wife only because, only because she professes Christ is burning as a light downtown. Mm. I mean, think about that. It, it, there's, there's no other reason for their suffering other than their faith in Jesus Christ. It's just terrible. So I, I, I'm gonna hope to watch that movie later. I think Jim Caviezel plays Luke which is a little weird because he played Jesus in the Passion of the Christ. But um, so, uh, but man, I just, I just was so emotional on that. So what I would just say is not everybody's gonna make it. And that's why as leaders, we have to choose who we spend our time with. I've said this, man, this is one of the most controversial things I've ever, you know, 
not ever said, I've said a lot of controversial things, <laughs> but one of the things that challenges people in our church is, is I reach out to people who are interested in the gospel, not those who are combative with it. Mm-hmm. I just, I only have so much time. So my assumption is when someone's interested, the Holy Spirit's moving. Mm-hmm. Sometimes combative people come to Christ, but usually combative people, combative people just like to argue. Mm-hmm. And I don't need that in my life. Um, when they're ready, to truly think about, truly listen, truly contemplate, man, I'm there. Mm-hmm. If you if you're open, man, I'm interested. If you're if you're not, I, I'm just not. And people hate that because they have loved ones and they have family members who have closed themselves off to God, and so they spend their whole lives praying for a loved one and a family member, and they negate all the people in their circle that are crying out to God. And let me tell you, one day you're going to be held accountable, not for your relative who intentionally close their heart off to God, you're gonna be held accountable for all those people in your life that were crying out for God and wanted to know Jesus. And because you only cared about and loved the people in your family and you didn't care about God's family, you're gonna stand before God. And I'm telling you, that's gonna be a conversation. You know, most people have never led somebody to Christ. That's a problem when the great commandment is to go and lead people to Christ and make disciples. And so we gotta look for people who are opening. the missionary term is the person of peace. Mm-hmm. Who's the person that's open to the gospel? That's how the gospel works. That's how it grows. It doesn't grow by beating people over the head with the Bible. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, my mom and dad and I, we were talking about um, our time in New Orleans last year. And, you know, there's street preachers there, soapbox, you know, yelling at all these drunks and people and whatever. And man, what I think would be so much better is if instead of standing up and preaching like that, they had a ministry that helped people who were passed out in the street. Mm-hmm. You picked them up, you took them to a place, you loved on them, you made sure they were safe, you made sure they were okay. Because when we were in New Orleans, people were passed out in the gutter during the day. I've never seen anything like that. And Tammy and I, we walked around, um, I don't know, maybe for two hours in downtown New Orleans, and we came back and the guy was still there, mm-hmm. drooling wow. in the gutter. It, it's just weird. I've never seen anything like that. New Orleans is a trip. Beautiful and dark. Yeah. There's dark darkness there. So, um, but I think that's a better ministry and a better testimony is actually caring for people. Yeah, you know, look good. for somebody who's sobbing, going through a heartbreak. Look for, a, you know, a woman who's just been smacked by her drunk, you know, boyfriend or husband and and care for that person. Um, because, we, you know, people come to Christ when they feel like something's broken. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's how they do it. If you don't have a need, you don't turn to Jesus. Why do you need a savior if you don't feel like you're drowning? So we got to find for the people to find the people who feel like they're drowning. So, um, one of my favorite Instagram accounts is called Urban Confessional, mm-hmm. and it's just these people. They go to college campuses, big cities, and all these places, and they just stand with. They have little signs that say "free listening," and then tell the stories of just the relationships. I don't. It's definitely not a Christian church thing. Mm-hmm. It's just really cool. You yeah, know? No. man, that would be. Yeah, I think we'd be far more effective if we just started listening rather than just shouting. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it works, and yeah. so. Um, what was I going to say? So, so what I would say is, it sounds like this leader needs to do some soul care for themselves because mm-hmm. it sounds like your faith might be in jeopardy. So what I would do is instead of worrying about this person that you cannot control, worry about yourself that you can control, get yourself in some soul care, get yourself in a healthy position. Otherwise we might lose you. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's what often happens to people who are constantly worried about everybody else as they themselves lose their soul. Yeah. And so you you have to do some self-soul care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I think some of the best advice I ever got from um, one of our leaders when I was a college leader was people are going to do what they want to do. Yeah. And that freed me up so much to both encourage people who are struggling 
and point out the path that I think would be best, but also giving myself some peace of their people are going to do what they want to do. Ultimately, that person's going to do what they want to do. I hope that they choose and want to follow Jesus, but they may choose that they want to do something else more. And I think that can release the burden from you so that hopefully you can yeah, focus on your own faith, choose like what you want to do. And if what you want to do is follow Jesus, yeah, you know, put that first. Yeah. A lot of Christians, again, are, you know, our theology is so not rooted in scripture. It's rooted in our emotions and that's tragic. So one of the things, well, here's one of the things that Christians believe is God will manipulate and change the desires of my loved ones so that they'll come to Christ. And that's just not true. If you read Romans one, it says God hands them over to their own desires and they have a depraved mind. They get worse, mm. not better. It, it goes the other direction. And so people are not being led by the word of God. They're being, being led by their own understanding of who God is and they don't even know who God is. And so God lets you choose. You get to choose your choices and God chooses your consequences. And that's the reality. And um, sometimes people, people are gonna walk away. You know, I hope my children um, love and serve God. I, I hope they go to heaven, but that ultimately is up to them. They have to choose to live for God, repent of their sins and follow Christ. I've done everything I can do to raise them to do that. Um, but if I become overly focused on that, now I'm, it's, it's my own, my sin of pride. Right, and and so that's what really people are wrestling with. Oftentimes, is I don't know why my kid fell away from God. Well, you're you're just because you're focused on yourself. Like you know, people have a hard time. Like whenever parents say, "I just don't know what I did wrong," I'm like, "Then you don't know yourself," because <laughs> no parent is perfect. Mm -hmm. Like we're all making. I mean, it, what we should all be celebrating is that any of our kids worship Christ in, in today's culture, in today's word world, because there's ex, there's extreme pressure. Um, and the older they get, the more pressure there is to fall away from Christ and to not trust him and not follow him. And, um, you know, so. Mm. Okay, so here's our last question. It comes from Sarah. And this is what she says. What if I failed the faith test? I handled my mom's death last year like a proper good little Christian, being strong, claiming victory, even through death. But I was a hot mess dealing with my dad's death this year. I felt so defeated and angry during the five months that my dad was dying. I don't have a victory testimony, and I feel like I only survived the test, not passed it. Sometimes survival is passing. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is look at look at Peter. Jesus says, um, Satan, or excuse me, Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked for you. Mm -hmm. He's asked for you, but I've prayed for you. And it's so amazing. What does he say to Peter? He says, after you fail strengthen your brothers. Mm -hmm. Like our failures don't mean God's done with us. Our mm -hmm. failures means that we have experienced grace. And once you have experienced grace, you are truly a soldier of God. Once you have experienced real grace, um, you know, she says, I, I, I handled the first one like a what? Like a chant, like a proper good little Christian. Yeah, yeah. I don't like any part of that sentence. Like all of that just stirs up in me. No, you didn't, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you know, we, we need to, you know, Peter said, I am willing to die for you. And then a little girl said, do you know Jesus? And he's like, no, I, I don't, mm -hmm. you know, with, with some profanity. Um, so I think that, you know, death is, is always shocking. It's always surprising. It's separation from people that we love. She's had two. So yeah, it seems like she just got like, double yeah, punched, yeah, man. Um, and, and again, it's, it's part of, you know, one of the things I've tried to teach my children is, that my job as a parent is to lead you in such a way that you can live when I am gone. Mm. I don't wanna make them dependent upon me. I want them to be dependent upon God because he will never die. He will never leave them. 
And so um, I will never leave them intentionally, but death, right? Th- th- I can't control that. So um, I want my kids to to know and love God and trust him and, and follow him. Um, and I think that that's so, so important. So what I would do is, is I would say, you're probably a little more real about the second death. Mm-hmm. And, and then hopefully that would allow you to process the first death in maybe a more authentic way. Mm-hmm. Um, because death is the enemy. It's terrible. It's awful. It's a reminder of the truth of sin. Mm-hmm. It's a reminder of, you know, that it sin hurts. It leads to death. It separates, it crushes us. It's the reason why Revelation uh, 21 and 22 says it's the last enemy to be defeated. You know, Christians forget to realize because we're so interested in our testimony that death is the enemy. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it is, it is, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Um, Even Jesus Christ agonized through his death. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's what your dad did. His death was prolonged and rough. And, and that's man, Mm -hmm. that's brutal to watch your loved ones suffer. That is just so so difficult. Um, so I would just say that um, give yourself grace, experience yeah. grace, um, own your failure, hand it to God, move forward. And and when someone else is struggling, you know, um, in their in their sin struggle as they watch someone die, man, you can be so much better. And again, listen. That's why, guys, we can't just read scripture. We have to study it. What does it mean when Jesus says, "After you failed and you come back, strengthen your brothers." Mm-hmm. So there, there's there's uh, there's a powerful testimony in success, and there's an even more powerful testimony in failure. Yeah, mm. and I would say in her case, I don't think being sad or heartbroken or devastated through death is a failure. No, I think that's having real emotions. I mean, Jesus with the death of Lazarus wept. Yes, he had real awful emotion toward that because death is the enemy. So I think I wouldn't look at your grief as failure at all. Um, I'm like having to work and process through my own like what does life look like and processing my own feelings and not shying away from the ones that are bad. They're not bad. It's okay to feel those feelings. It's Mm -hmm. not a failure to be hurt or to be sad or to be angry. It's what you do with those emotions can be failure, can be sin, but it's not failure to be devastated at the death of your parents. Yeah. It's not a failure to to feel that close together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's brutal. Mm -hmm. A lot of good stuff in there. All kinds of extra links and resources and things will be online at debrief.show slash 122 when you get those show notes. All right. Love you guys.